So today we kick off a series I am, I am super excited about called Self-Quarantine. Living and loving from the inside out. Listen, it's quarantine time-ish. There's no better time. I mean, you're alone with yourself an awful lot these days. You might as well get to know yourself. And for those of you who have let life get in the way and, and stories and tragedy from the past get in the way of knowing the real you that God created, man, I count it an honor to take you by the hand and walk to the depths of your soul and show you the beauty that exists. I think we're going to have a great time together. And, and I know it may not be as clear cut for you. And some of you may not even know if you're a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, whatever. There is a tool that we're going to push your way. And it's, it's very simple and easy to take. And if you text SELF, S-E-L-F, to 512-980-1220, you can take the test. But wait, please, listen, I see you. I see you. Take a screenshot right now of what you see on screen so that you can do this not in the sermon because we believe that the Bible is higher than the Enneagram. So we're going to spend, I see, please, sir, I see you. Put your phone down. Just take a screenshot and take this test later. It's really, it's really fun. If you need help, email us. If you can't understand the results, we have a team at the ready, just ready to help you understand your Enneagram results. So let us pray as we head into Enneagram 1, the Reformer. Father, I thank you. God, I just thank you for our time together today. I thank you for the many people that are watching online right now. All around the world, God, I see so many people that are watching, and I thank you, God, for them. I ask that in the next few minutes, God, that you would just give us the courage to peel back the layers of our heart, to remove the mask. I, I get that in childhood, we developed these, these rhythms to deal with life. But God, your word says that when we become a man to put away childish things. So God, we ask for the courage to remove the mask today. The things that once worked as a child, they no longer work. So God, help us to be the best version, the truest version of ourself, knowing that our truest version reflects you best. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 15. We're gonna sit there for uh, most of the sermon today. You can go ahead and turn to Luke 15. If you don't have your Bible, good news, you're having church at home. Run and get your Bible. It's very important. I'm gonna have you underline some things and take some notes. So please get whatever it is that you need to settle in for the next 20 minutes. And let's really dig through scripture. As we talk about Enneagram One, the reformer, you heard Sherry talk about it a bit. The reformer is a good person. This is not me. I am not a one. This is not me, just so that you know. Um, Enneagram One, the reformer, they see things that could be. They see how things could be. They see the potential and they see the disparity from where they are to where they should be. We've got several ones even in the room today as we film on, on the camera right now, standing between you at home and me is a gentleman named Paul. He's an Enneagram One. Uh, you saw Sherry 
on platform. She is an Enneagram One on worship. You saw Kathy. She's an Enneagram One. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you've already found out that Vance Ginn uh, and not Emily, they've moved home. Vance and Emily have moved back here. But Vance is an Enneagram One. We have a lot of ones in the house. And I'm excited to talk about you today. You guys are good people. It's just not me. So I want to take you to a story that Jesus tells. And that story starts in Luke 15, verse 11, which I'm, I'm not going to show you. You can glance at it. And you might even see in your Bible the heading. It says the prodigal son or the lost son something along those lines. But in verse 11, Jesus starts this story by saying there was a man who had two sons. Everybody say two sons. Isn't it crazy that for 2,000 years, we have called this story the prodigal son as if it's a story about one son. It's not a story about one son. It's a story about two sons. We focused on the prodigal but there are two sons. Jesus made that very clear when he started this parable. Hey, guys, listen. I want to tell you a story. And this story is about two sons. Now, if you have kids, I have five kids, two bonus kids, which means they're, they've married two of my kids. So when we're talking Christmas, I've got seven kids. And now I've got a grandchild in Australia. So talking Christmas, eight kids. One thing I can verify as, as fact, this is not fake news. Every child is different. Absolutely, 100% different. Now, if you have kids, you understand. You, you may have two kids. Those two kids are going to be different. I don't care if you're identical twins. I've known identical twins before, and they could not be more different than they were because every kid is unique. It's interesting to me how you can take kids and put them in the same home with the same mom and dad, the same environment, the same food, the same oxygen, the same nutrients, and they grow up to be totally different people. You ever seen someone, maybe with your sibling, they're talking about, oh, when we grew up, X, Y, Z happened, and you thought, what house were they living in? Like this, I don't recall it happening like that at all. I mean, our perspective of the world is so much different than anyone else. So in this story, Luke 15, the younger brother, it's always the younger kid. The younger brother goes to dad and says, hey, dad, I want my share of the estate. Now, he's asking for his portion of inheritance before his dad even dies. How crazy is that? He's like, hey, dad, I think you're living a little longer than I anticipated. So if you wouldn't mind, could you just split up, split up the goods and let me have what's mine? Now, in ancient time, in this time, we understand and we know that the oldest born got two-thirds of the estate, two-thirds. The youngest son was going to get one-third of the estate. Now, if there were any sisters involved, which this story doesn't tell us if they had sisters, but don't forget, this story is not real. This story is a parable. It's a made-up story. Sometimes people forget that this is not a real story. It's a made-up story to communicate a real truth. We don't know if they had sisters, but if they did have sisters, the father would take money out of the inheritance from the younger son 
to create a dowry for the sister. So that, you know, someone would marry the daughter, they would give them a big dowry, and that would come out of the one-third. So this younger son, he gets his portion, his one-third portion of the entire estate, all that the father owned, and then he, the Bible says he goes off and he squanders it. He lives crazy. He lives um, like a wild man. He, he's spending it on food, on drugs, on women, on fast cars. He squanders all of the money, wild living, life falls apart. And then the text I want to take you to picks up the story there in verse 17. Follow with me. When he came to his senses, who? Who came to his senses? The younger brother. When he came to his senses, in other words, he's getting real with himself right here. This is what I'm asking you and I to do in this series, to get real with ourselves. To, to stop with the mask, stop with the excuses, stop with trying to hide. Some of us work so hard at, at confusing everyone else on who we are, but we've gotten even really good, so good at confusing ourselves that we no longer even know who we really are. In this verse, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So he loses everything and he finally realizes, hey, my dad's probably pretty smart. I probably shouldn't have left. You ever notice how the older you get, the smarter your parents become? Have, have you ever noticed that? Like when you're a teenager, you think your parents don't understand anything. You know, they're paying for the toilet paper and, and they're paying for the electricity and they're paying for the water and they're paying for the food and they're setting schedules and routines and you think they don't know anything. But then when you move out and you realize that toilet paper actually costs money and during a quarantine, I have to stand outside HEB around a building and wait for an hour to get three rolls, suddenly mom and dad become a lot smarter. And that's exactly what's happening here. He loses it all and he says, I need to go back home to dad. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he went up and went to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Pause. This best robe was not the robe that the son left behind. This best robe was the attire set aside for special guests, set aside for royalty. And here he's coming back filthy from pig slop, and his dad is saying, go get the special robe and put it on him. Then it says, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. If you have ever been to a wedding ceremony, or you've actually gotten married yourself, you know that there's this little thing called the ring. Sometimes the groom likes to think he's funny and act like he forgot the ring. And the bride will, you know, slap him or he'll hear about it later or something. But the ring, what we know is it represents the permanence of family. 
when you put the ring on the groom or on the bride, what you're saying is, till death do we part, as this ring has no end, so my love for you has no end. We are family. So he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The sandals communicated to the son that he was not a slave. He was a son. In ancient times, that's how you could differentiate between the slaves and the sons. The sons were wearing shoes. I I imagine the son came back from his wild living, a slave to sin without shoes. And the father said, go get him sandals. He's walking and talking and looking like a, a slave and he's a son. And so the father puts sandals on his feet. Next verse, verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Can you imagine what the father was going through in that moment? He thought his son was dead. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you think something has happened to your spouse or your kid, but then to find out they're okay, it's like all the life is drained out of you. Your your adrenaline is going nonstop. I remember when Michaela was three years old, we were in Giddings, Texas, and it was during a holiday and the sun had set and it was out on a hundred acres at my mother-in-law's place and there was a large stock tank and pond and Michaela went missing as people are leaving as the family's leaving and cars are going and um, you know all of Carrie's family was there and I'm freaking out we realize she's missing we look everywhere we check the water and I'm praying to God that she's not in the water and then we go and check by the animals in the barn and we're running everywhere and my heart is racing I know you know exactly what I'm talking about you've had this experience yourself before and my heart is racing and finally we open the door to a closet and there's this three-year-old dolled up little girl with lipstick smeared all over her face asking if she looks pretty she had hid in the closet to put on makeup not hearing us scream her name not hearing us call out to her but in that moment of my daughter is missing now she's found it's complete relief I remember when my son was born, Micah is now 25. No, because I'm 20. No, I'm not. I have been married 25 years this September. That makes my son, if I do the math, 24, 25. I don't don't know. I do know I got married before he was conceived. I just want to get that on the record. But somewhere, he's in his 20s. I remember when he was born. I remember when he was born. uh, He came out of the chute, and he was not breathing, and he had no heartbeat. And to think of almost losing him, and then he... Go, go, go get the best robe and the sandals and let's kill the fattened calf. I know he's an idiot. Listen, son, I know he's an idiot, but he's my idiot. You ever been an idiot before? I've been an idiot before. You ever had family that loved you when you were an idiot? 
They're like, I know Trey's an idiot, but he's my idiot. You ever, you ever put your family in that awful situation where you've just been an idiot and you made them prove their love to you? That's exactly what is happening right here. I, I know he's an idiot, but he's my idiot. And verse 25 is where the one comes in. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Where was he? In the field. Right where he was supposed to be. Because that's what reformers do. They get stuff done. They're counted on. They, they are where they, where they say they're going to be. They do what they say they're going to do. If they say they're going to do a job, they're going to get a job done. Everyone who wants to be critical of good people, of little prissy, perfect people, let me just tell you that without them, there's no exchange church. You know why? Because, because they serve. One, serve. You know why? Because they tithe. You know why? Because they're here. That they show up to church. Ones show up to church. Whether they feel like it or not, they know it's the right thing to do. They're not sitting back asking themselves, well, should I go this weekend or do I have better plans? They're not saying, oh, let me get in the right yoga position and see what my chakra says. They're not doing any of that. They're saying, I need to be in the house of the Lord because it is the right thing. I thank God for ones. I pray for more ones. Honestly, it's ones that are paying for this building so that we have a place to come back to when quarantine is over because ones do the right thing even when no one's looking. They get stuff done. Who do we love at the Exchange Church? We love everybody, but I sure love me some ones. Verse 25. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. This is the older son. He's hearing the younger brother, and he's hearing the celebration. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, underline this in your Bible, please, especially if you're a one, underline this statement. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You know what he's saying? It's not fair. It's not fair. Ones, listen to me. Life is not fair. I can attest to that. If life were fair, I wouldn't have a great wife right now. If life were fair, I wouldn't have a family. If life were fair, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. Life is not fair. Fair and the older brother, Enneagram one, the reformer, is really upset because it's not fair. Verse 26 the brother is not going in, the father comes out and he pleads with him. He's like begging his son, older son, to come in and celebrate. Son, come in. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. In other words, he's saying, I've done everything right. I've done everything you've asked, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, don't even call him his brother, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Listen, ones. Listen up, reformers. 
God sees what you do. There, there is nothing that you do that is beyond his sight. And one day you are going to get rewarded for it all. But today's not that day. Today is the day where the one who is dead is now alive. Today is the day where we need you not to worry about life being fair and to celebrate the goodness that you carry, that it's being poured out on others. Verse 31, look at this. The father says to him, and everything I have is yours. And that's actually true, by the way. We talked at the beginning of the sermon how the father split his inheritance. So the robe, the sandals, the fattened calf that is being killed literally belongs to the older brother because the estate has already been split. The younger brother squandered what was his. And now the father is taking what belongs to the older brother to celebrate the younger brother. What does that feel like once? Stealing. Verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want to challenge every, every reformer that is watching right now, every Enneagram one right now to celebrate who you are. Because you know what you bring to the table? You bring this amazing ability to reflect the goodness of God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Even when the world is in chaos, ones, you have the capacity to show the goodness of God. You show all of us that there's still goodness in the world when we see people acting a fool on social media and we see places getting looted and we see riots and this and that. Once you remind us of the, the structure and the, the solidarity of goodness in God, I just want to remind you that you're valuable. What you bring to the table is important. Underline this in 1 Peter 2.9. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You can show others the goodness of God, but he's called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. If you're that good person, that Enneagram one, that reformer, if you're that good, per that dare I say, perfect person, what is the darkness that he's calling you out of? What's your sin? You know, you know the tragedy, I think? One of the tragedies is if you're one, and especially if you grew up in the church, oftentimes you feel like you don't have a good testimony, right? You, you've just been so perfect, and you've done everything right, and you've just, to the best of your ability, you've built your snowman in the perfect way. You, you don't have the Vegas heroin prostitute story, right? I, I, and some of you say, oh, I've got a story. One time I was addicted to Diet Pepsi and I drank so much I got a headache and I swore I was never going to do Splenda again. 
I, I know that's, that's legit and that's a serious testimony, but, but your testimony matters. The tragedy is this. It's tragic that we as a church have, as we should, championed the story of the prodigal coming home. But sometimes that makes the, the reformer, the one, the one who's been faithful, forget that they are desperately still in need of a savior for different reasons. One son was lost, but the other was judgmental. Here's a question God is asking you, reformer. Can you trust me? Can you trust that I'm really, really going to be good to you? Can you trust that I'm going to reward you? Here's how Satan tempts you. Satan will say to you, is God good? Is God, is God really seeing what you're doing? Here's the point. If you are one in this story, you should know something. The reformer in this story not only thinks that his younger brother is an idiot, he's afraid that his father might be also. What's the core motivation of a reformer? To be good or right. You, you ask yourself often, what is the right thing to do? That's what you struggle with. Other numbers, they don't really ask that question so much. Some of them do because they've just learned, they've learned it or they have a bit of one in them. There are some numbers, like I, I won't throw them out there or throw them under the bus, maybe sevens and fours, that they say things like, what, what feels good? That's, that's what their natural tendency is, that innate decision maker is that they go to. But you ask yourself, what is the right thing to do? And your greatest need is to be perfect. You avoid criticism. Ones often uh, can be critical with their spouse. They can be critical with their kids. But let me just let us all in on a little secret about ones. As critical as the one that you love might be, I guarantee you they are more critical over themselves. What do they focus on? They focus on flaws. If you're a one, all you see are the flaws. And this is fuel for the core sin of anger. anger. Your fear is being flawed, but guess what? You are flawed. You are. And every day that you wake up, it's like Groundhog Day, your worst nightmare. You're flawed still. You're not perfect, and you will never be perfect, my friend. So the biblical truth that I want you to pursue is found in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Listen, we are all idiots compared to ones. Ones have it going on. They're going to get the job done. They're going to do it right. You're not going to have to go back and correct what they're doing. They're going to cross every T and dot every I and they're going to make sure every loop is closed. Ones are, are amazing 
But listen to me, you can want a perfect marriage and suffocate it. You can want perfect kids and crush their spirit because they feel like they can never live up. Ones we have to learn to embrace life on life's terms and don't let anger control you. Forgive others, forgive brokenness, refuse to get offended. If we don't deal with anger, we're gonna have to deal with self-righteousness. Ones have a tendency to lean into self-righteousness. What is that? It's not, I'm better than you. It's, I'm right within my own self. But none of us are right within our own self. That's why Jesus came. How did God deal with his anger toward us? He poured out grace. How should you deal with your anger towards others? You should pour out grace as well. Ones may be playing for the rules, but God is playing for relationship. And so ones, I'm, I'm here to ask you today, do you trust your father? Do you trust him? It would be great if everyone would just listen to you because you see what needs to happen. You, you've got it all figured out. You, it's, it's, it's perfect. The problem is people don't listen. And even if they did listen to you, you would find the next thing wrong because there's always going to be something wrong. We live in a broken world. This is why we need a savior. Do you trust him? I want to pray with you today. Maybe you're, you're here and you don't know if you're an Enneagram one, the reformer or not, but what I said sounds an awful lot like you. And maybe you've been dealing with some anger issues. Maybe you've been dealing with, with just trying to control everything and wanting things to be perfect. Maybe you have some unforgiveness and resentment in your heart and your life because you see the actions of everyone else and it seems there's no punishment. And you're like, God, where's my reward? I've been faithful. I've been steady. I've been sure. God sees you. I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you've been watching and maybe you just jumped online because you saw, we were talking about the Enneagram. I know that it's really popular in culture and we may have some views just from the Enneagram and you don't know about this Jesus, but as I've been talking, you felt like, hey, maybe the Enneagram was something that I got introduced to for a next step for the real solution, which is Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to say yes to him today. If that's you, will you just place your hand on your heart? Let us pray and invite Jesus to take control of our life. Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. I know that I am a sinner. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. He is, he is the one that is good. All the time, he is good. And so I say yes to him, Lord. Forgive me my sins. Help me to turn from my sins and turn to you and make me a new creation. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you just said that prayer, you've just become a son or a daughter, and we celebrate with you. The Bible actually says that all of heaven rejoices when someone says yes to Jesus. If you did say that prayer, you meant it within your heart, you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, I want you to scroll down on your page and click the button that says, if you're watching online on our website, it says, I said yes. Click that button. Let us know who you are. If you're watching on Facebook Live or on YouTube, type in the comments right now. I said yes. We have online hosts that would just love to partner with you and show you what your next steps are. We love you. God bless you.